Morning Parkers Church. Uh, morning to everyone who's here. Morning to everyone who's watching online. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, relatively doing well. Uh, I mean, we all know what we're going through, but yeah, I hope everyone's in a good place. Uh, yeah, fortunate to have this opportunity to come share God's word, uh, and I'm hoping that you guys uh, enjoy it today. So, firstly, I'm gonna ask, like, who, who of you guys, and I think it might be a lot, have watched Survivor? <laughs> I see quite a lot of hands. Uh, Survivor is a show where people basically go, and it's a it's a show of tactics. So there are things you you do, like games you play, um, or challenges that they have to go through. Um, but at the, it's always at the end, there's this thing called tribal council, where people vote each other off, right? Uh, and so the, the, the motto of Survivor is outwit, outplay, and outlast. Uh, and I have seen a tribal council, so everyone sort of forms these little teams, uh, and then they get to tribal council and expect that whatever agreements they had beforehand uh, people carry them out when they get there, when they have to vote each other off, right? But I have seen proper deception on Survivor, like the worst kind. Like if you go on YouTube and you just Google Survivor Tribal Council, you'll see how much drama there is there and how people backstab each other. So, like, it, 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 it sort of made me think, and especially as we're coming to the text today, uh, it made me remember how hypocritical people can be, um, how hypocritical we could be. Because I, I try to put myself in those situations, and I'm always like, I would have said this to that person. I would have done this to that person, you know, to try to convince them to come on my team. And I think to a certain degree, we, we are all like that. Um, and as we come to this, to this text today, we'll see that this isn't a new thing. Like, this has been happening for a very long time. And we see it here as Jesus interacts with these guys here. So we're coming to, uh, we're still in our series in Mark, um, and we are in chapter 12. So if you guys want to turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Uh, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, so yeah, I'll read. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to, to pay taxes to Caesar or, sh or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them, or should we not? But, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let me let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, may you just ready our hearts for your message. Um, may you open it up. May you go for us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, and may you allow me to just explain what, you re what your word already says. I'm not bringing anything different, 
And so I pray um, that, yeah, you may just ready all of us, including myself, for your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just uh, in light of context, I'm going to explain a little bit of where we are in our story. So um, in, in, in the wider context, we've seen in chapters 10 and 11 that Jesus has been walking with and teaching primarily those who have been following him closely. But now when we get here, we see that he starts engaging with those who have been following him from afar, right? And it's Passion Week. I think Doug said this is like the most important week in Christian history. Um, and it's about Tuesday. It's, it's on Tuesday, uh, and Jesus is in the temple. He is engaging with the big shots, right? He just engaged with the scribes, um, the scribes, the elders, and the chief priests. Um, and they were asking him how he's doing all the things that he's doing. Um, but he, he told a parable against them, against them and, and now they hate him. Uh, this isn't the first time they've done that. They've, they've hated him for a while, but the tension is growing. And now, because he told a parable against them and they couldn't do anything to him at the time, they sent their, their plan B, their next batch of guys. So we get to this part now in, in, in verse 13. We see that they have sent Pharisees and Herodians to trap him in his talk, right? And these guys try smooth talk Jesus. They try sort of uh, woo him. And they're saying, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? We see here this coalition, right? This temporary alliance for combined action. We hear about coalitions a lot, especially here in South Africa, where, uh, <laughs> where the ruling party has ruled for so long, but people are starting to get tired of it. And so we have all these other parties that are sort of combining their efforts to push the ruling party out. And, and this, this was the same here now. Let's look at these two different groups. So the Pharisees were the largest and most influential sect in the Jewish, the, among the Jewish people in New Testament times. They, had, they were the ones that had stood against Hellenization. Now, Hellenization, uh, when the Greeks had conquered uh, the Middle East or Palestine, um, they, Alexander the Great had introduced this system called Hellenization, and basically... He wanted to bring Greek culture into whatever place he had conquered. And so a lot of things in normal everyday life would start to take uh, upon the Greek culture and look like Greek culture. But these guys were the guys who stood against that. Their beliefs and theology were founded on the entire Old Testament, and they were very legalistic about it. They were legalistic in everything, in the food they ate, in observing the Sabbath, in dress codes and tithing, I could go on. They even created many other laws uh, that they deemed necessary and kept them religiously. But the, the, the point is, these guys were all about Jewish culture. They wanted to preserve it. Their hearts were in a good place, but um, unfortunately, they fell off the rails. But we have the Pharisees. And, and, and saying that, um, I don't, we, we look at them in hindsight and we see them as like troublesome people. But people in their day and age respected them. They were the guys who knew what to do and when to do it. 
Then we have the Herodians. They were a much smaller group, but they were quite influential as well. But they, however, supported the Herodian dynasty, uh, and therefore the Romans. So the Romans, after conquering the Greeks, uh, put Herod up as like a, I don't know, almost like a, a, a mayor. I want to say a mayor. So every district had um, people from that district who would help the Romans rule that district. And so Herod and his family were, were kind of those people. And so the Herodians believed in Herod. Now, the Herodians and Pharisees, I'm sure you could figure out at this point, shouldn't have been able to get along. In fact, they did not. And ordinarily, they would not even be talking to each other. The Pharisees, like I said, they, they put their, their, their faith and hope in the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, and that that Messiah would come and free them politically from subjection to the Romans. The Herodians, however, had put their trust in Herod, who was under the Romans, and therefore they supported the Roman rule. Now, we have these two contrasting groups, but the aim of both of them in this time, and that's why there's this coalition, is to trap Jesus. They tried to flatter and woo him by, you know, sort of saying, hey, Jesus, like we know you don't care about anyone's opinion, and you're not swayed by appearances. And all these things they're saying are true. But now they ask him this question. Should we pay taxes? Is it lawful to do that? And, and, and now there's this dilemma. You might not realize it, but there's this dilemma because there are crowds still around, right? If Jesus says that they should pay taxes, then what could happen is that the Jewish crowds who hated the subjection of the Romans, they would have turned against Jesus. They hated this imperial tax that they had to pay. It was oppressive to them. And because of what it stood and meant, it would appear that Jesus would also compromise his devotion to God because he's saying, you know, you need to pay these taxes to Caesar. And I'll explain uh, in the next point how, 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 why um, it would have meant a compromise in devotion to God. On the other hand, if Jesus had said that they shouldn't pay this tax, then it would give the rights to the Herodians to then take him to Caesar for, de for being defiant, for basically saying, no, don't obey the law of the land. Right? And they would have seen him as rebellious. So we have these two polar opposites, at least politically, group of, groups of people who, even though they hate each other, have come together to tackle this one common the enemy. Now let's see how Jesus responds to them in verse 15. Verse 15 says, but knowing, from verse 15, but knowing the hypocrisy, so Jesus recognizes this, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, it's Caesar's. And he says, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now we see Jesus responding to them in challenging their hypocrisy. He, he realizes it and he says, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. Now the denarius, I think I'll put a picture up. Uh, it was, uh, its worth was the, the worth of a day's wage for a laborer. 
But it wasn't the only coin that was in circulation at the time. So Jesus could have asked for any coin, but he asked for this one specifically for two reasons. The first one was that the coin was the one that was used to pay poll taxes to Caesar. So all the taxes that were collected uh, had to have this inscription and bearing of the Caesar. The Caesar being the emperor of Rome. And it had this picture of Caesar on it and, and a text as well. That text said, Tiberius Caesar, so Tiberius Caesar was the Caesar at the time. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine, who is Augustus, and who himself is now Augustus. So, basically, Augustus was sort of also a title that, that pointed towards the Caesar as a deity. Right? So the Caesar has declared himself as a deity, and that means, and that's why I was saying it's problematic, if you agree to pay these taxes, especially using this coin, then you're basically sort of agreeing with the fact that this man is saying he's a, he's a deity, or even accepting it. Right? So Jesus asks whose inscription this is, they says it's Caesar. And he says to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now, I think the lesson here that we can learn is that Jesus did not come to bring anarchy. Jesus did not, bring, did not come to bring anarchy. We are called to submit to the authorities. Now, let's look at what Romans 13 says about that, what Paul sort of echoes, when Paul sort of echoes what Jesus was saying here. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, I'll read 5 and 6 as well. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who, re who resist will incur judgment. That's, that's very clear from Paul. We do not resist the authorities. God appoints the authorities. If you think of our country, we do not resist the authorities as hard as that might be. God has appointed them. We might not understand right now, but God has appointed them, and he knows what he's doing. Verse 6, For because of this, you also, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. How hard is that for us today, thinking about our leaders? And I like this quote from a theologian called J.C. Rao. He says, he puts it in this way, as he also speaks about this. He says, true Christianity was never meant to interfere with man's obedience to civil power. He ought to regard the powers that be as ordained by God and to submit to their rules and regulations so long as the law is enforced, though he may not thoroughly approve of them. If the law of the land and the law of God come in collision, no doubt his course is clear. He must obey God rather than man. So, 
the only reason you shouldn't submit to authorities or authority around you or the government is if it con contradicts what God calls you to. That is the only reason. Other than that, we have to submit. We have to trust in what God is doing. And so we see this from Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, uh, he, he challenged us to give God what is, to give to Caesar what's due to him. But he also challenges us to give to God what's due to him. Why? Because the same way the coin had the inscription of Caesar, we were made in his likeness. We were created in his likeness. So we are his. Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. It says, then, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's the first part. And then verse 27, that's the first part of 26. 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we have, we all have this inscription of God in us. We, we were made in his image. We were made in his likeness. He created all of us, male and female. And Jesus says that we should give of ourselves because we are made in his image. We should give of ourselves and of our lives as a worship to him. Right? We all pay taxes here. Even if you, 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 you don't have a, a job that lets you pay income tax, you still pay VAT. So all of us, all of us, even little kids, as soon as Doug gives Dan a one rand coin to go buy sweets, Dan has paid taxes, whether he acknowledges it or not. And so we, we, already, we already do this. We are already giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. But now how do we, how should we, and how can we give to God's what is God's? And why should we? It's because he created us, um, but also most importantly for us as believers and us in the church, because of what he would accomplish later that week through Jesus. And we'll see that. We'll see that in, in, in John 3.16. John 3, I'm sure all of us know that, but we'll get into that. So what we see is Jesus opposing and confronting this hypocrisy. Um, so let's see what that leads to at the time. Now the conclusion and the, or the consequence from hypocrisy in that moment is that these guys, these guys who had come with a plan, who had devised this master plan like we're going to get him, they simply just marveled at him. They marveled at him. He, had, he got them. The parallel passage in Luke uh, chapter 20, verses 26, it says, they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. That's all they could do. They didn't know what else to do. They had been called out. They had no comeback. Their plan had failed. Their hypocrisy the hypocrisy had been exposed. And so to, we'd say, Baswabili. Like they were put to shame in front of everyone. Right? So now, 
we, we, we see Jesus, we see this hypocrisy coming, we see this coalition that has come, and we see Jesus challenging it, and we see the response. So now, but what does that mean for us today? Now, there are a few lessons we could learn here, and I'm going to ask a few questions. I think the first one I'd ask is, are we rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's? Are you obeying the law? Are you being a good citizen? Just, just think about it. I think most of us would probably be okay there. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We'd be in, in Lukop somewhere or Sun City prison. Um, and so I'm hoping that we continue doing that as, as best we can, um, rendering to Caesar what is Caesar. But I think most importantly for us as a church, we need to really consider what it would mean to render to God what is God's. We spoke about being made in God's likeness and that God created us, believers and unbelievers alike. So in essence, we all have an obligation to render to him what is his. Like I said, if a coin made by a Roman empire belonged to the empire, then our, our, our whole lives as people made in the image of God, our whole lives have to belong to God. So how are we to render to God what is God? Mark 12, this is later on uh, in, in, the same, in the same chapter, uh, and we'll get to this properly um, uh, in a, in a, oh, next year. We won't, we won't get to it in a couple of weeks, but next year we'll get into it. Um, we see in Mark chapter 12, 29 to 30, um, just a, a little bit of context there, the scribes came up and they heard they heard the dispute that was happening as Jesus is going back and forth with all these groups of people. Um, and one of them asked, which commandment is the most important of all? And this is how Jesus responds. He says, the, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Oh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so as believers, this is what we must do. This is what God calls us to, not just as believers, everyone. He calls us, because we are made in his, in his likeness, he calls us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, in our everything, with our whole being. And practicality-wise, that can mean a lot of different things. We need to love him and serve him and worship him in what we think, in what we say, in what we believe, in how we pray, in how we take care of our bodies, in how we rest, in how we work, in how we serve, in how we make decisions, in how we spend our money, in how we spend our time, in how we care for those who don't have. Like there's so many, I could go on forever speaking about how we, we, we'd want to love him with everything we have. There should be no facet of our lives that shouldn't be geared towards the glory of God. Every single part of it. And, and like I said, because 
we are all made in his image. This isn't exclusive to just believers. It's, it's for unbelievers as well. But how do, we, how do we get to that place? Right? Because as sinners, that's not our nature. Everything in us, instead of drawing towards God, everything in us pulls away. It pulls away from God. It runs away from God. And even as believers, like we, we, we stumble, we fall, you know. Like, I, I, we, we're all not perfect. I'm sure the, some of the, the other pastors in the church, not that I'm a pastor, um, the pastors in the church can also say that we stand here bringing God's word as hypocrites as well. Because we, we consistently, we're not better Christians than anyone else. We consistently fall. We consistently draw away from God. So how do we, how do we, how do we get to him? What's the, what's the only way we can get to him? It's only through faith in Jesus that we can start to do this. And not because of works. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 reminds us of that. Sure, it's up there. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think I paraphrased a part of that. Um, so we see, we see this, this gift that God has given us, that we were saved by faith. And this is, this is grace. Like, we don't deserve it. <clears throat> we don't deserve it. But God has given it freely to us. That's the only way we can come to him. There's nothing we do. But, but people like stopping at, at verse 9. I want to read verse 10 as well. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should work, walk in them. There are good works that we should walk in. There are good works that we should work in. These good works, don't, they don't save us. They're not the ones that bring salvation to us. They're not the ones that draw us to God. But they're there if you, you do. So the first step is believing in God. It's believing. It's putting your trust and hope in Jesus. And then God then, because you have already done that, has works that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. These are good works that we need to walk in. And this guarantees that we love out what we say we believe. We live out what we say we believe. So it's not just uh, I'm standing here and saying I'm a Christian, but if I were to ask people around me, they would say, yes, I think he's a Christian because I'm seeing this work out. Now you can, you can work some of those things out. We're very crafty as, as human beings and as sinners because we can do those things outwardly. But that, that, that doesn't save us, and I want all of us to realize that. Right? Rendering to God what's God is not just external. It's, it has to start inside. But the works become a testament to our faith. The works show, show people and show the world and, and reveal to God in worship what has already happened inside. We need to believe. We need to believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
We need to believe that. That's John 3.16. That's, that's the gospel message, that, that God has sent his only son, his perfect son, to die for us, so that those who believe should not perish, but have eternal life. And again, I'm going to add 17 to, to 18 as well. We like, we like stopping at 16 because it feels nice, right? 17, John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is, is condemned already, because he has not believed in the only Son of God. And this is, this is why I'm saying faith is important. This is why I'm saying the inward is more important, because you can do everything outwardly, but you will perish if you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't believed in him as your Lord and Savior. You can know him, you can know him, you can know about him, you can know a lot about him even. But do you believe him? Because if you don't, it says that you are already condemned, you're condemned already if you don't believe. But, and, 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 and Jesus doesn't come to further condemn you. We're already sinners, but Jesus doesn't come to further condemn us. He comes in order that those who believe in him might be saved. Right? And so that, that's the gospel message, that, that Jesus died for us, and, and, and the, he, he will do that at the end of this week that he's in, Passion Week. Something glorious is going to happen. He's going to die, and he's going to rise up from the dead and all those who believe in him will be saved. And they will be saved forever. So how do we respond to this in, in light of maybe being hypocritical? I'd say to believers, you have to check yourself. Right? We, we constantly have to check ourselves. We have to weigh ourselves up to whether we're loving God with everything we have, that Mark 12, 29 to 31 passage, whether we are loving God with everything we have and whether we're loving the next person the same way we'd love ourselves. We have to constantly do that, right? Again, I could list all sorts of things and I can go on forever on what we could do. But as believers, I think we have to check ourselves. Are we doing that? And if not, then we need to come back and repent of some of those things. We shouldn't hesitate to do it. Like I said, we stand up here, I stand up here as a hypocrite as well. And so what does that mean for me as a believer? I've, I've been saved through grace. Yes, my works fail me. My, my works pull me away from God. My thoughts, my actions, the things I say the things I watch, the things I listen to. Those things draw me away from God. Those are my works. But the gospel isn't different from when I became a Christian. Like, it, it shouldn't mean anything different for me today. Just because I became a Christian 10 years ago, the gospel should still be fresh. Jesus was sent to die for my sins. I need to believe that. And I need to believe that that's the only way I can be right with God. 
And so I have to constantly get back to that. I need to constantly check my heart and return to God. Because if I try, if I try play out and live out differently, when my heart isn't in a good place, then I'm, I'm being more hypocritical. So I need to start with the internal. We all need to start with the internal believers. Return to God and then render to God what's God. If you are on the fence about this, if you're not sure, if you're like, ah, I don't know, or, or you feel like you, 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 you proclaim or claim to be a Christian or believe that you're a Christian, but your life doesn't show any of that, if you were to ask people around you and they're like, ah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that person is. They say they're a Christian, but I don't see any of that. Then I think you need to, you need to reevaluate your heart. You need to start with the internal. Don't start with the external. Start with the internal. The internal will lead you to the good works that God has called you to. But doing them in and out of your own strength is not going to get you anywhere. You have to choose Jesus. You have to choose God. You have to repent and believe. And if you're an unbeliever, I'd say take this as an opportunity to repent and believe. Take it as an opportunity. And I, I think I, I, I'll share a little bit of my story uh, of when of how I became a Christian, a small part of it. Um, so we, I mean, I grew up thinking I was a Christian. Um, I think that's how many people are who aren't uh, Muslim or, or Buddhist or any other religion. Uh, you sort of, especially in South Africa, you sort of find yourself in that Christian, like, you know, application, application forms. Uh, if they ask you, what are you, you're going to say you're a Christian because, you know, Maybe you used to go to church. Maybe you still do go to church. And, and that's how I was. I, I, I came to university and I, I, I honestly believed that I was a Christian. And so we had this group of Americans that came over uh, and they, they used to invite us to Bible studies and whatnot. And I used to go because, yeah, you know, I identify as a Christian. I don't see anything wrong in going there. Even though the rest of my life, I was like partying and drinking and chasing after girls and doing all of that stuff that university students do. But they invited, so eventually these guys invited me to this camp. Uh, and I remember the speaker there sharing on, uh, on the misconceptions of Christianity. And I'll, I'll share the, the, the two misconceptions that I remember the most clearly. The first one was, Christianity is for old people, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Christianity is like, if I've, after I've lived my life and now I know, okay, it, it might be any moment now. I need to fix my things with God, you know. That's, that's what I was thinking. And when he said that, I was like, yeah, that, that, that Christianity is for old people, people ready to meet their maker. And so they have to sort of sort things out. But I'm young. I'm young. I'm 18, you know. I need to live my life. And so that was the first misconception. The second one was that Christians don't have fun. I was like, yes, yes, 
Yes, those church people, they do not have fun. And I think in that, like after, after all of that, I don't even remember the rest of the message, but I remember thinking, wait, wait a minute, what does that make me? Like I'm, I'm sitting here and this guy is saying these things are misconceptions. And I'm saying those are true of Christians. But I, I, I said I identify as a Christian, so what, what's going on? What does that mean? You know, and, and, and I was caught marveling the same way the Herodians and the Pharisees were marveling at Jesus' response. That was my moment. I was standing there thinking, what, what does this mean? I felt silent. But what I didn't realize that God was doing was he was drawing me to himself. He was showing me a clear line of the fact that at that moment, I hadn't trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I knew John 3.16 off by heart. I had known that since I was a kid. But I didn't believe that. I, I hadn't believed it for myself. And so that weekend, I, 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 I looked at my hypocrisy, and graciously, God drew me to himself through that. I became a Christian. And so as a, as a, as a non-believer, that's what I'd say to you as well. God, God is reaching out. God has given us. The work is done. The work is done. We, we're seeing this in hindsight. The work is done. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. And if you trust in him, you will not perish. And so I challenge those, even, even if you, you, you feel like you're on the fence, there's no fence, guys. There's no, there's no fence. There's no, I think I might be, or I'm trying this out. There's nothing like that. It's either you have believed in him and trusted him, in him as your Lord and Savior, or you haven't. It's either you have started to render to God what is God's, or you, you, you haven't. And so I challenge um, everyone, like I said, believers to examine their hearts, to even ask people around you, like, what do you see through my life? Are you seeing Jesus? Are you seeing me live out what I say I believe? And to the unbelievers, it's, it's, it's so great. Like, there's this, this hymn, this to hymn, uh, and, and we will worship just did a rendition of it. Um, and, and part of it says, I'm going to say it in Sotu, Imosholo sholo, and, and it means that this, this miracle, this wonderful miracle of, of the almighty God who has drawn himself closer to us, he brings himself closer to us. That's where it starts. We don't, we don't do anything to take ourselves to him, but he brings himself to us. And, I, and so I pray that we may all respond to that believers and unbelievers alike, that we may be challenged, that we may see and acknowledge our hypocrisy, and that we may look at Jesus and respond to the invitation he gives us in light of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, yeah, just pray for our hearts, pray for you to expose what is in them, pray that those who don't believe or who haven't considered um, or acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior, may do so, Lord. Um, 
that they may come into a loving relationship uh, and see how great you have been to them, even though they haven't recognized it, Lord. But I pray, Heavenly Father, because we, we, eternity, their eternity is at stake. Our eternity is at stake, Lord. And if we don't come to you, you who said you are the only way to get to God, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father besides through you. I pray that people may trust in you. And I pray for believers, Lord, that they may examine their hearts um, and that they may see whether they've been uh, loving you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if they haven't, Lord, may they experience and respond to the gospel afresh, um, that you may work mightily in their hearts, um, that they may uh, you know, respond, see their hypocrisy, respond to it, and, and seek to glorify you in all they do, Lord, and that they may help those around them do the same. May, may we not be caught lacking, Lord. Uh, may our lives really, truly be like in, 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 in our whole lives, may we truly seek to worship and honor you in all we do. In Jesus' name I pray.